You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. I'm going to continue, actually conclude our, our series, as he mentioned, uh, called A Different Spirit on Missions today. And what we're going to do is, is we're going to really do some family business. And so if you're here visiting with us this morning, I believe you're going to get something from the message. Uh, you're, you're, going to, you're going to be encouraged today. But I want you to know uh, that as we conclude at the end of the service, the plan is that we're going to receive pledges and commitments for the next year to support uh, missions that we send out from Quinonia Church. Uh, and you don't have to feel at all any pressure to be a part of that. I, I would actually uh, ask that if you're not familiar with us and you're visiting today that you would just you would just observe uh, and you would get to know us. So this is not designed to be a pressure type thing. This is really designed to be some family business that we are going to do together as a response uh, to uh, our focus on missions over the last couple of weeks and uh, our remi being reminded that we are called as followers of Jesus to be engaged uh, in the needs of the world. Uh, so welcome if you are new, welcome if you are old, uh, welcome no matter who you are. We are glad that you are here, and I do believe that God is going to speak to us uh, this morning. Uh, I, I got an email this week. Uh, about our church name, Koinonia. Uh, and we make fun of our name because, well, it's funny. Um, it, it's a Greek word uh, from the New Testament that means fellowship. Uh, and uh, from time to time, we'll get people uh, that will ask us, you know, uh, they'll just be, they'll be puzzled by uh, the, the name Koinonia Church. Frankly, if you're going to plant a church, if you're going to have a church, you should never name a church Koinonia. Uh, because in terms of understanding of what it is and being connected with the community, it doesn't work, right? You don't pick a Greek word to identify yourself to the community as what you represent. But it's our name, and, and we love what it means. Uh, but from time to time, we'll get someone to call uh, our office, and they'll say, you know, this Koinonia Church, are you Hawaiian? Uh, what, what, what's the story? You know, they'll try to figure out who we are. Well, this week I got an email from um, one of our staff members, and it so happens that um, this staff member is married to a man who comes originally from Uganda. And in Uganda, they speak uh, the language called Luganda. Uh, and in Luganda, apparently, they have a word called Koinonia. They pronounce it just slightly different, but then again, who knows how to pronounce Koinonia to begin with? Uh, so they might as well just say it just the same way that we do. But what's interesting and what they wrote me about was that uh, in uh, Lugandan, the, the language of uh, Uganda, they, they, um, it, you, the word Koinonia means that thing you were looking for or what you've been looking for, right? You're searching for something, and then koinonia, there it is, the thing that I've been looking for. Uh, and I just thought, man, what an, uh, uh, just a wonderful expression of the church, the kind of church that we want to have and the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be the kind of church uh, where when you come in the doors, you feel welcomed, you experience God's presence, you hear his voice, uh, and you begin to understand how much he loves you. And that's what we all need. That's what the world needs. The world needs a place where God can meet with them, where they can meet with him, where they understand how much he loves them. That's what the church is called to be, not just Koinonia Church, but the church across the world. We truly are called to be that kind of place, a place where when we step in the door, we go, man, this is exactly what I needed all week long. I needed a touch from the master. I needed to be reminded of who I am. I need to be reminded that I have a purpose uh, and that I'm a part of his purpose on the earth today. And, and that's our desire. I love to be a part of this church. I love to be a pastor here because uh, what a wonderful place Koinonia church is. Uh, and as I mentioned, I'm going to conclude our series called uh, A Different Spirit, where we're talking about missions and we're talking about the importance that each one of us as followers of Jesus, that we have something 
to do, that we actually have been called and given by Jesus himself a purpose in the earth. Pastor Chad launched our series four weeks ago now, and he used this verse as our theme verse out of Numbers chapter 14, uh, verse 24. It's going to be on on the screen, uh, but I also want to encourage you, if you'd like to follow along in the notes today, I have put them online as we always do. You can go to our church center app uh, and access them there. Bottom right-hand corner of that app, it says more. If you click that, you'll see uh, a a link for the sermon notes, and it's got a place with all these verses uh, and the blanks, and you can also download the PDF for further study uh, later on. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, verse 24 says this, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. He says, because he has a different spirit, would you say different spirit? So Caleb had a different spirit. Caleb was a man uh, who was not like everybody else. He didn't have the response that everybody else had when they went into the land to spy out the promised land, the land that said that God said, this is the land I have appointed for you. Everybody came back afraid. Everybody came back intimidated. Everybody came back not so sure. Caleb came back saying, that's the place that God has for us and we can take it. He had a different spirit. He had something that was on him and in him that was different than everyone else. And I want to tell you, that as followers of Jesus, we are called to have a different spirit. We are called to be different. When people look at you from the world, they should see, man, there's something different about them. Not just that you're weird, not that kind of different, but that there's something inside of you, something that you carry, a life-giving force that you represent, a purpose that you walk out every day in your life that makes you different. That's what the New Testament says about the church of God. It's called the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. It says that they, that you and I, who are part of Jesus's body, this, the church, this thing, we are to be different. We're to be strange. We're to actually, when the world looks at us, that we say, man, they say to us, I want what you have. There's something, if you look like everybody else, if you sound like everybody else, if you smell like everybody else, something's wrong. There should be something different about you. And what it said in Numbers is that Caleb had a different spirit, that he followed the Lord fully with all his heart. You want to have a different spirit, that's the very first thing that you need to do, is you just need to say yes to the Lord. Everything that he says, you just say, yes, sir, I will do what you tell me to do. I will be obedient all the way to the end. Whatever you tell me to do, God, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to follow you fully. And when you follow the Lord fully, then you're going to look different. You're going to sound different, and you're going to carry a different kind of power than the rest of the world. And that's what the world needs, folks. The world doesn't need somebody else to just preach at them. The world needs someone else that is fully committed to Father God, willing to live obediently 100%, and as a result, has the power of God that, that when they talk, they talk with something backing up their words. That is the Holy Spirit that is able to communicate something far deeper than what we can do just with, with our words. Because we have a different spirit, because we're called to have a different spirit, What we need to do as a church is we need to understand what that means. Now, it's nice that as followers of Jesus, we have received salvation. It's nice that as followers of Jesus, we receive peace in our homes. I want that. I want to have a promised land that I live in. I want to have joy in my home. I want to have blessing on my finances and at my workplace and on my relationships. That's part of the inheritance that we have from the Lord. But truly what, what that means, if we're going to carry a different spirit, is a willingness to do what the Lord has told us to do. 
And Jesus himself gave the church, every single one of us. It wasn't for somebody else, somewhere else. It was for each and every one who followed Jesus Christ. He gave us a mandate. He gave us a mission. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and extend the kingdom that I have brought. You are now my hands and feet. You are now responsible to do something about this mission that I have given you. And this is why we focus on missions every year. This is why we keep coming back to it throughout the year, reminding ourselves of the importance of the mandate that Jesus gave us. It's not an optional thing. It's not for somebody else. It's not for some other church. It is for every person who calls Jesus King and Lord. The question is, will we do what he says for us to do? And we're going we're gonna to be a, a different kind of people. I'm determined that in my, me and my household, me and my church, wherever I walk, that I'm going to carry a different kind of spirit. I'm going to say yes to the Lord, even though sometimes it's difficult, even though sometimes I don't understand it. And because of that, we're going to have a different kind of spirit. Now, today, what I want to do, of course, is I want to build to a conclusion at the end of the service. It's a, it's, a, it's a building to a response where, as you already know, we're going to receive pledges uh, today. Uh, and, and this is a response after four weeks, and each year we do this, where we're basically committing ourselves as a church to give to missions over these next 12 months, and we're going to receive uh, pledges for that purpose. And if you've come ready to, to give that, uh, then that's wonderful. We'll give you an opportunity also to consider that at the end of the service as we build that time. I'm telling you that because I don't want you to be surprised. I'm telling you that because it's not like I'm going to spring it on you at the end. Oh, we're, we're doing pledges. Now, this is, this is where, where we're headed. I'm telling you that because I, I'm not trying to do an emotional thing. I'm not trying to stir up your emotions uh, and, and, and guilt you into something that you don't want to do. You might, if you're visiting today or, or, or maybe just however long you've been here, your response might be uh, to me saying something like, we're going to take pledges. You might be thinking, that's what they always do in church. They're, they're just about money. They're just about money in church. And, and I understand that you might say that because of a negative experience that you have had, because you have been under leadership where there has been pressure, there has been manipulation, you've felt guilted into giving. Uh, and, and so I understand that. First of all, I want to tell you, if, if you're in that place, don't give. It's okay. This is, this is not a guilt thing. This is not a pressure thing. But I also want to maybe challenge you a little bit. I just want to push back just a little bit on you. Because if that's your response, oh, here we are again. We're in a church. The pastor's talking about money. That's what they always do. And church doesn't have anything to do with money. I just want to challenge. I think really, I think that understanding is a little, can, can I say it, immature. Because the reality is, whether you've had a bad experience or not, or you've had a good experience or not about money and church and everything else, the reality is that your, is that your money has to do with your spirituality. That the relationship that you have with your finances actually is a direct indication of the relationship that you have with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, I didn't say that. That's what Jesus said. Jesus actually talked more about money than he talked about just about any other subject. If you look in the Gospels and you start to count them up, he actually talked about money all the time. One of the things that he said is, is that you have to be careful what you do with your money because wherever you put your money, wherever you put your treasure, that's where you put your heart. 
And what we'll find is, is if we tr try to divide our spirituality from our finances, that we have actually missed the whole point of it. That our spirituality is intimately connected with how we do everything in life. How we treat our family, how we treat our friends, our relationships, what we do at work, what kind of workers we are, and how we spend and invest our financial resources. And so this is an, actually an invitation for us to grow spiritually. It's not an invitation to try to say, oh man, I want to be guilted into something, but rather to understand that this is part of the process that God is inviting us into, that every area of our lives, including our finances, would be in submission to the King of Kings uh, and Lord of Lords. And so we are going to build to that at the end of the service. And I'm convinced, really, I, I feel uh, almost just compelled that we as a church are to be engaged in missions in a way that exceeds what is expected of a little church in Hanford. Uh, that, that Koinonia Church has a call and a responsibility to respond. And that's not just individuals responding, but that's really us all responding corporately as a family. My, my conviction is that every family in Koinonia Church, if this is your home, you should be a part of what we're doing today. Uh, if you're watching online, we have a way for you to do that online. If you're in the house, we'll talk about how you can do that at the end of the service. But I believe this is an important way for us to respond together to what God is doing. What I want to talk to you just about uh, for, for just a few moments is uh, indifference and the tendency that we have to become indifferent. The tendency that we have to excuse ourselves from this thing that God has called us to do. When we talk about the Great Commission, that mandate that Jesus gave us to go into all the world, to be invested in the nations of the world, to be invested in planting churches and pushing the kingdom of God outwards uh, from this place, we have a tendency to get comfortable and to get indifferent about that mandate. We have a tendency to, to sort of excuse ourselves, to rationalize. We have a tendency to get comfortable where we're at. And it is so important for us to actively seek, frankly, to kill the indifference that happens naturally in our life. Let me just give you a definition of indifference. It is simply this. It's a lack of interest, concern, or empathy. When you're indifferent, you simply don't care. For for a while, I had a phrase that I kind of liked to say. I've tried to take it out of my vocabulary because I think I realized that it's, it's not helpful, really, and it's a, an indication of indifference. But when someone would tell me about a problem or a particular individual who was causing a problem or who had a problem, I would say, not my problem. Have you ever said that before? Not my problem. Now, you're better than me, so you probably never have said anything like that. And it, it's, what I realized is that it's really an indication of the fact that I, I, I was refusing to care. I was refusing to be engaged in that issue. And, and, and it really was, became very flippant. It became something that I repeated very, very quickly and very often because it was funny, because it was disarming. It was, it was just sort of dis dismissive. And I would just say, not my problem. But the problem is, is that when you say not my problem, you really are putting out distance between you and a broken situation. You're putting distance between you and the needs of a person or of a, of a situation that's going on. And because you don't want to take responsibility in that area, you just dismiss yourself and you just say, not my problem. And I just want to tell you that is a problem. And indifference is a problem for us as human beings, because we will find ourselves, naturally speaking, sliding into a state of not caring. You may have heard this story. It happened in New York some years ago. Uh, a young woman named Kitty 
was murdered uh, on the streets right there in her neighborhood while at least 38 neighbors watched from their windows. During the course of the 30-minute assault, no one, no one telephoned the police. Now you might wonder, well, how in the world could they have been so indifferent? How in the world could they have not cared? Were they so calloused? Because we think, put ourselves in their shoes. Would I be so callous that I wouldn't care? What they actually found as they went and they interviewed each of those neighbors is that each person thought someone else would take the initiative to get help. Each person thought, yes, for sure. Haven't you ever had that thought when you drove by a wreck? For sure somebody else is going to call. For, for sure somebody else is going to deal with that. And, and before you know it, we, what we have done is we have explained away and rationalized away a response and a responsibility on our own behalf because we figure somebody else will take care of it. That's indifference. That's basically allowing a sense of laziness, allowing a sense of not caring to creep into our heart. And before you know it, we have excused ourselves from taking a responsibility for our neighbor excused ourselves from taking responsibility on behalf of those who are broken around us, and we do it all the time. I don't know about you. I don't think I'm the only one, but we do it all the time. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 11 says this, our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts. That's the call, right? And we know that. We know that's our responsibility as Jesus followers is that we would be characterized by love, that we would love others, that we would make sure that they understand how valuable they are. And, and so the author of Hebrews says, hey, I, I want you to, to make sure that you keep on loving others. In order, he says, to make certain that your hope, uh, that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Instead, you will follow the example of those who are going to inherit God's promises because of their faith and endurance. He says something really interesting here. He says, I, I know you know what your responsibility is. Keep on loving others. He says, the reason why you have to keep on keeping on, the reason why you have to keep pushing yourself to serve and to love and to reach out to the broken and reach out to those who are not particularly liked by you in the moment, to reach out for those who are even rejecting you, the reason you're supposed to do that is so that you don't become spiritually dull, so that you don't become resistant, so that you don't become indifferent to the needs of your friends and your neighbors and the world, the people across the street and the people across the nation and the people across the globe. There is a tendency that we have to become cold. There's a tendency that we have to become, to become indifferent to the needs of the world. And, and this, the distance between us and them grows very, very quickly. What are you indifferent to this morning? So often we're indifferent to the experience of other people who are not like us. They're, they're maybe far away from us. They don't look like us. They're, they're not in our neighborhood. They don't talk like us. And because of that, we're indifferent to their experience. Oftentimes we're indifferent to the issues of justice when they happen to people that are not related to us. It's a whole different story somebody treats your family wrong. It's a whole different story when you experience injustice or your kids experience injustice. Suddenly you're engaged, you're involved, you're, you're all up in arms about it, you're going to do something about it, you're going to make phone calls, you're going to stand up for them. But when we're separated, when that connection is not there, it's so easy for us to become indifferent when there is distance. I don't know them. They're, they're, they're across the street. They're across the world. I don't have anything to do with them. And therefore, we are not 
engaged. Most importantly, we become so quickly indifferent to the plight, to the, the spiritual situation of those who don't know Jesus. The, the scripture actually says they're lost. They're spiritually blind. They have a destination that is not heaven. We just kind of say, well, yeah, well, God, hope, hope you could do something about that. Because we're indifferent, frankly. Because it's so easy for us just to be dismissive. Why are we indifferent? Uh, a church researcher, Tom Rayner, lists eight reasons that we often are indifferent, that we often haven't reached out to those who don't know Christ. I'm going to add just two more to those, and I'll go through them quickly, see if these speak to you at all. But reasons why we are indifferent. First of all, oftentimes we're indifferent because of spiritual laziness. Just simply, we're just lazy spiritually. We just get comfortable in our lives. We get comfortable with a measure of knowing Jesus and his goodness in our own life, and we become lazy, and we become disobedient, and we become unwilling to stretch ourselves, and we become unwilling to take Jesus seriously at his word. And so no longer are we passionate about saying yes to Lord, whatever you say, and I'm going to do it, because we just sort of get comfortable. Secondly, oftentimes, there is this sense of growing inclusivism that makes us indifferent. That is, in our world today, there is the idea that's very popular that every religion somehow leads to God. And that if every religious someone is, is authentic about it and they do whatever they can do, that somehow they're going to make it. It's going to be okay. Now, listen, I believe in God's grace. I thank him that his grace is greater than anything that I could ever imagine. I believe wholeheartedly there are going to be people in heaven that I'm surprised to see there. Thank you, Lord. But that is not the same thing as being inclusive. Because the reality is, is that the Bible is actually quite exclusive. But the scripture, I mean, if you read scripture, it says that Jesus is, in fact, the only way. That he is the door. That he, he is the way that you get to the Father. That he's the one that won the victory over sin and death. He's the one that opened the doors to heaven. And so if we're not careful about actually looking at what scripture says, and we begin to believe what the world has told us, that, hey, as long as you are really sort of authentic in your faith, you'll get there. You're actually not in alignment with what the scripture says. And so we become indifferent. And we just figure, ah, it'll be okay, it'll work out. Thirdly, uh, growing disbelief in hell. Have you noticed nobody likes to talk about hell? You know, and, and it's no wonder. Hell doesn't sound like a fun place. But we'd rather sort of not believe in hell because it's uncomfortable. It's unpopular. And again, we've got to get back to, back to the Scripture. Jesus himself talked about hell. And the way that he talked about it was, number one, it was a real place. Number two, it was a place you don't want to go. It was a place with weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of separation from the Lord. He actually said it is the place where the worm does not burn. In other words, you're just like somehow very, very uncomfortable. Man, I, the, the reality is, is that we are indifferent to spiritual people that are, don't know Jesus, to spiritual, the people that are spiritually lost, because we don't really believe that hell is something that's important or real. And because we have a very sort of closed view or we want to ignore the reality of a spiritual future of separation from God, we're not motivated anymore to do anything about it. Number four, busyness. Busyness will make you indifferent every single day. We fill our calendars. We're, we, lo we love to do this. We fill our calendars up with activities, with entertainment, with work, with things for the kids to do. And before you know it, there's no time to actually be obedient to what the Lord says. 
Number five, fear of rejection. Oftentimes we're indifferent just because we just don't want to get rejected. What if they don't like what I have to say? What if they laugh at me? What if they make fun of me? What if they're offended by my talking about Christ or whatever it is? And, and because of fear of rejection, we back up and we create space and we simply stop caring. Number six, oftentimes we have a desire to be tolerant. Now, I believe tolerance in our society civilly is very important. It's a very important value. But the reality is, is that scripture, spiritually speaking, is intolerant. That God is intolerant with sin. That God actually wants us to be obedient to him. And that there is, in fact, a way to have a relationship with him. And there is a way to be separated from him. And God's not going to violate your will. He actually opens the door. He says, if you would like to come in, I am available to you. But he also says, this is the way. Walk ye in it. He doesn't say, whatever you want, do whatever you want, and you're going to get what you want. He actually says, this is the way if you want life, and if you want goodness, you want blessing, you want grace. And But because we're so afraid, uh, and we are afraid of a culture that tells us, don't you dare say there's only one way, we shut up and we become indifferent. Seven, we have lost the habit of witnessing. In other words, we've lost the habit of simply having spiritual conversations and inviting people into spiritual conversations. That's actually a skill. It's a habit. It's, it's a thing that we must decide to grow in. Number eight, there's a failure that we have to invite people. Invite people to our house. Invite people to our church. Invite people around the table. Invite people into conversation. We just tend to be in a culture now that we don't invite anymore, and we're afraid that if we invite, they're going to they're going to be they're going to reject us. They're not going to open be open to the invitation. And because of that, often we're we're not seeing people come close to Christ because we're not giving them the opportunity. Number nine, a lack of prayer. Prayer will change your heart for the lost. Prayer will change your heart for the things that are actually on God's heart. But because we don't pray, we don't expose ourselves to the Spirit of God, we don't allow Him to speak to us because we're lazy in that area, then we don't actually ever change from the inside out. And then number 10, selfishness. Ah, we just don't do it because we're selfish. Now, you feel really good after that list? That's a really great list. The reality is, is that those things creep up on us. The reality is, is that indifference comes into our heart without even trying. In, 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 if we're just in neutral, if we just live life, we become more and more indifferent, more and more cold to the concerns of the world, more and more cold to the reality of the brokenness of our neighbors across the street and across the world, and more and more unconcerned. And the reality is, is that we've got to fight against it. Because if we're going to take seriously what Jesus has called us to do, we're going to have to fight against this tendency to not caring, this tendency to become spiritually lazy. So how do we do that? Well, I'm so glad that you asked. Let me just give you a couple of thoughts on how to kill indifference, okay? If you were to read the story uh, of the Good Samaritan, which I think we're all familiar with, you'll find, and, and there's other stories in the scriptures that would tell us as well, I think you'll find that you, there is a process that we must engage in if we're going to actually kill this thing of not caring. And the very first thing, and just three quick points, the very first thing is this, is if you want to kill indifference in your life, if you actually want to care about the things that Jesus cares about, you're going to have to decide to care. It's very simple, but you're going to have to make a decision to turn toward brokenness. You're going to have to make a decision to turn toward someone that's far away from you. Turn toward a situation that makes you uncomfortable. 
Turn towards a people group that you're not familiar with. Turn towards uh, a, a situation that, that it seems totally foreign to you and, and you're concerned that you might be st uh, sticking out like a sore thumb if you step in there. But until you decide to care, until you decide to turn towards them, then you, you can't even get started in this, in this area of changing your heart and becoming actually uh, concerned and full of compassion about the world and about the lost. You have to look. You have to look at it. But we find it so easy to look away. I mean, it's, isn't that so easy? Just, it's just so much easier just to look away. If something comes on TV uh, and, uh, you know, they're, they're maybe showing pictures of, of kids who are hungry or broken uh, situations that begin to pull on your heartstrings, you just turn the channel. You, clip, you click the skip ads as quick as you can because it's just so easy to turn. I don't want to, that makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to look at that. Well, yeah, we do that in our life all the time. We just turn the other way because when you look at something, it changes the way that you're oriented to it. It forces you to begin to be open to being changed in your heart. But lo looking away stops that from happening. Uh, I know you've had the experience just like me, but uh, there are people around, and, and for example, in our town, uh, downtown Hanford happens all the time. You have uh, homelessness, uh, ho homeless people who have mental health issues, and I've seen them just as much as you have, who, and s screaming on the street corner. And I'll come out and I'm walking down. I'm going to lunch. Here's someone screaming on the street corner, tormented. What do I do? Well, let me just walk in the other direction. <laughs> let me just turn the other way. Because when you turn towards, it, it puts you in a position that is uncomfortable. It puts you in a position maybe that's a little bit risky. It's going to cost you something. Boy, if I go have a, try to have a conversation with that person, how long is it going to take? What is going to be required of me? If, if I get involved, oh, I don't want to get involved. Somebody else can get involved in that. Somebody else has a calling for that. Somebody else is, is supposed to do that. If I don't want to get involved, because if I get involved, I'm going to get sucked into it. But the reality is, is that we are actually called to be involved. We're called to be engaged. And so it begins with deciding to care. You have to decide to care. Now, deciding to care is just the first thing, right? Because you can't just decide to care and then suddenly everything else falls into place. Just like you can't decide that there's a pink elephant right through those doors right over there. If I were to tell you, just decide right now to, that there's a pink elephant. I'm going to bring it out in just a moment. And everybody goes, no, I'm a, I, don't think, I don't think so. Because you only have one step. You have only taken one step when you decide to care. You've decided to turn towards, but, but then the next thing that you have to do is you have to get closer. Turning and looking is one thing, but that could just be rubbernecking. It's when you actually get closer that something can begin to change in your heart. You, you, you turn towards and then you step in. You step closer. You get close enough to, to actually see what's, what's going on. You get close enough to, to hear the person's voice, to, to smell their clothes, to, to see what, what's happening. But when you have distance between you and brokenness, it's always easy to be dismissive. It's always easy to think, yep, I, I bet they didn't do what they were supposed to do. I bet they, were, they mismanaged their money. They're addicted to drugs. They've done some things in their life, and there's this experience in God's judgment, and they probably deserve what they're getting. As long as you're in distance from that other situation or that person, it's always easier to make judgment. As soon as you get in and get up close and you begin to experience what they're experiencing, you look in their eyes and you hear their voice and you understand just a little bit of what's going on in their life, you go, oh my God, my heart, it, it no longer can be dismissive. 
I, I don't have the benefit anymore of just lying to myself or saying that I don't know what's going on. Why? I got too close. But we got to get closer if we want to have our heart changed. We've got to be willing to engage if you want to have your heart changed. I was, did a funeral service just yesterday for one of our members, uh, David Jones, and uh, he, early in his life, when he was in his 20s, he spent, uh, I think it was two years in Iran. Uh, and for six months of that time, there was no other American that he met. And he didn't speak the language when he first went, and he wasn't familiar with cross-cultural experiences. For the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, it transformed and changed him. It transformed and changed him about the experience of the other, about a love for the Middle Eastern people. Uh, it, it completely revolutionized his heart. It changed his understanding of justice. Why? Because he got close enough for it to get on him. He got close enough for it to impact him. When's the last time you got close enough to brokenness to where it actually began to mess you up? You begin to see, I, I, I don't even have the answer here. I can't actually fix this. God, God, would you please step into this situation? Would you do something not only there but inside of me? Because I, I don't even want to touch it. It's so messed up. I don't even want to get close to it. It's so filthy. It's going to get off on me. But when we begin to get closer, we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to change our heart. Oh, God, would you break my heart? Would you actually begin to change me? Help me have the courage to get a little closer. So you have to turn towards, you have to step in, and then the third step, I think, is that you have to get some skin in the game. You got to get some skin in the game, because when you have skin in the game, you begin to watch the game differently. You know this as much as I do. Uh, uh, some of you are familiar with fantasy football. <laughs> fantasy football, what an amazing thing. Fantasy football usually involves getting a little skin in the game. There's usually a little money attached to it, and you create a team, uh, and, you, and, and you begin to follow that team, and before you know it, you don't care if your own team wins, that is, the team that you are a diehard fan of and have been for the enti your entire life. You're watching the game with your team. You don't care if they win. All you care about is whether your guys on your fantasy football team do well because you got five bucks on the game. You got a little bit of skin in the game. You got a little bit of investment in the game, and suddenly it begins to change everything. You may never have done stocks or crypto or anything like that, but the moment you buy a stock, you put $25 in the market, you get a little bit of Bitcoin. Suddenly now, every day, refresh, refresh. What's that, what's that price again? Did it go up? Did it go down? Your heart goes up. Oh, I'm going to make some money. I'm going to get rich. You're, and it goes down. Oh, man, this is, I'm going to throw this money away and lose it all. Nothing like getting skin in the game to change the way that you perceive things, that you're interested in things. Nothing like investing. It's so true what Jesus said. Put your treasure in that place. Suddenly your heart's there too. Suddenly you care about what's going on in that place. When we, when we send resources to the world every month, we send about $10,000 because of your giving and your faithfulness in this church every month out to 18 global and local partners to feed kids, to build churches, to train church leaders. It's amazing what happens every single month. Boy, when I, when I write that check out, when I'm invested, you better believe I want to know where that money's going. And I feel so much different about it when it's my money that's in, in the pot. It's nice to think that it's the churches that's sending out when you're $5, when you're $20, when you're $300 to get, get sent. Suddenly you have a different way of looking at that newsletter. You go, I, I want to know what's going on in Mozambique. 
Uh, I want to know what's happening with the active family. I want to know about Taiwan and, and what's going on with the Tamayos. I want to know about Care India and the way that they're feeding uh, widows and, and caring for orphans and digging water wells and expanding the church. I, I want to know what they're doing in Ethiopia when, when they're actually extending the kingdom of God by training the next generation of leaders up to build the church. Suddenly, you got skin in the game, and it changes things. So important for us not to just slide into indifference, not to just allow our hearts to grow cold, but actually to fight and kill the indifference that so naturally exists in our heart. One of the themes, as Pastor Chad said, for our missions month, uh, our missions in general, is pray, give, and go. Pray, give, and go are three ways that you get skin in the game. You better believe you begin to pray for specific missionaries, for specific nations, for specific organizations, it'll change your heart. You'll, you'll find that suddenly God wants to pray some prayers through you. You'll, you'll find that maybe God begins to speak to you about uh, being a part of what they're doing, going and visiting them or supporting them financially. Prayer is powerful. There's the invitation, of course, to give. When you give, you physically, financially send your resources and put them in God's hands so that the kingdom of God can be expanded. There's a powerful impact that those resources have. Sometimes we cannot even begin to understand how much is done with our little resources. Yeah, it, was just a, it would have been just a coffee for me. It would have been a nice Starbucks. But instead, it actually fed somebody that didn't have food otherwise. And of course, go. When, when you go and you get close, you actually, you actually leave your home and you, and you begin to invest your resources to go to a, another place in this country to serve or another place internationally to serve, and you find that your heart begins to burn in a way that it didn't before because you've gotten close enough to actually care. My, my personal commitment is, is that I would be invested uh, as a part of this church in the call to respond uh, to missions and the call that Jesus has been uh, so serious about given to us. And so my wife and I, we give to missions. We, we give financially to missions. Not only do we go, not only do we pray, but we have uh, set aside funds that every month that we commit to, to invest into missions. Why? Because I want my heart to be there. I want my heart to be about the business that Jesus thinks is important. But beyond a personal commitment, and, and I would challenge each one of us who are part of Cornelia Church to, to, to know and to think, God, how would you have me invest? Am I truly invested in the business that you care about? But beyond that personal commitment, I, I have a, a corporate conviction that Koinonia Church, as a church family, that we together represent uh, a gift that we need to give to the Lord. That actually when, when the Lord looks at Koinonia Church, there is a certain, I would put it this way, there is a certain tribute that we have to give to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So the, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is the King of every church. He's certainly the King of Koinonia Church. And you would send tribute to a king when you were under his rulership uh, that basically demonstrated our submission to your authority. That you are actually the one that has told us to do this, and so we're going to give you what you are due. And they call it tribute. I believe Quinnia Church has a tribute that the Lord wants us to give. 
And, and he, has, he knows what that number is. He knows what that, uh, that, that, that particular amount is. But together as a church family, every family represented, what we are able to do is to pay tribute to the king. We're saying, yes, Lord, I want to be counted at the end of time that you would look at Koinonia Church and you would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You responded to the call. You sent missionaries. You sent resources. You went. You prayed. You carried the burden that I called you to carry. Boy, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of a church that would understand the importance of being, of being uh, called according to the master's way to do what he desires for us to do. So we're going to uh, take this offering in just a moment. Uh, and I want you to just go ahead and take out this, this card, if you would. There's pledge cards in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't have one or you didn't bring one, just find one. Uh, and even if you don't plan to give, just find one, just, just to look at it with me and to make me feel like we're all together in this. Um, and if you don't have one, you can't find the ushers are coming right now, just raise your hand uh, and they will pass you one. Uh, and uh, and th so they're moving through. Make sure you have one. Just take it. Would you wave it at me just for a second? Just say, oh, yeah, I've got one of these. Yeah. Okay, we're finding them. Very good. Look at that card. What this card represents is a commitment to do these three things. You see it's divided into two parts. The, the bottom part is to tear off and to turn in. The top part is, is for you. And it just says simply this, recognizing my part in reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus. I or we, if you're married, commit by faith to share in the vision to reach out both locally and globally. And this is a commitment for the next 12 months. And then it says, I pledge to pray to give and to go. And you might just put a checkbox on those if you're committing to do those things. And I would encourage you to do that. Even if you're not going to, to give a lot of money or any money today, even if you're, if you're not going to uh, do more than just even pray just today, there's something that happens if you put a little X right there. You say, I'm actually making a commitment. I'm actually going to pray. God, would you, would you teach me how to pray for the nations? Would you teach me how to pray? Would you use me to pray some prayers for your people across the globe? I'm going to give God, and, and I'm going to give, uh, and I'm going to stretch myself. Uh, maybe this is something you've never done before, but Lord, I'm going to give this year. When you give as a part of, of what we're doing as a church family, like I said, I'd love to see every family represented in this. It's not really even about the amount. You need to give according to the resources that you have. You need to give according to what the Lord has spoken in your heart. But be a part. Be a part of giving. And then thirdly, go. You know, God, how would you send me? How would you use me? Am, am I serving? Are there, is there a place I can serve locally? Is there a team that I can go on uh, and actually go and get closer? Maybe you've never considered that before. Maybe you thought, man, that's for somebody else, or I don't even, I've never been out of the country. I don't even have a passport. Hey, there's nothing like a commitment to going on a team. It will transform your understanding, your life. You'll find that suddenly your heart is captured by the things that the Lord uh, has in the way that he loves people. On the bottom half there, of course, it says, this year I'm going to, and it reflects those three things, pray, give, and go. And it's got a spot there for financial giving, maybe a commitment per month, it says there, dollars per month, or a, a one-time gift. Sometimes you, you can give everything for the year at one time, or you can commit to monthly. It's amazing what you do when you commit monthly and how much that builds. And then, of course, it has a place for your information. I just want you to think, just for a few moments, about filling out the bottom part of that card. And uh, I'm going to have them uh, give you a time to fill that out if you haven't. And they're going to sing a song. But think about this for a moment as you consider giving and being a part of commitment. I think that uh, giving is something that we grow in. 
2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 8, Paul says that you are to grow, we are to grow in the grace of giving. That means there's, imagine there's a ladder or, or a staircase, and as you climb the staircase, you're, you're growing in your ability to give. It's, it's grace. It's a grace thing because it's not by uh, co compulsion. We're not trying to force you into anything. It's, it's not something we're trying to twist your arm. This is an invitation for you to be a part of what God's doing and to experience a greater grace in your finances and, and in your life. And imagine Imagine rung number one is that first step into giving. Rung number one would represent uh, that, 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 that looking at your finances and saying, what's left over? What can I give? What can I do? You might say it might represent just a small amount. It might represent a dollar value that you have left over at the end of the month. It, but it just represents a first commitment that's based on what you have. You kind of look and say, yeah, I can do that. I can give five. I can give 50. I can give whatever that is. That, that's that first step. Now, it's not a bad step. It's a good step. It's, but I would say it's a first step. Now, the next step beyond that is a step that says, I'm going to give, but I'm going to give sacrificially. I'm going to give not just based on what I have left over, but the overage that I have. I'm going to give uh, based on a commitment to actually change my lifestyle somewhat, uh, to be able to make room, Lord, for you and for your call to reach out to the world. So I'm going to uh, do one less five bucks per week. What is it? Seven bucks now, right? One less Starbucks per week. That's what, what yeah, five bucks a week, 20 bucks a month. $240 a year, suddenly that's real money. Suddenly that, that's some significant money that is able to do more than, I, I bet you more than what that coffee could do inside your body. Imagine you, you made a decision uh, with your family. You said, hey, we're, we're going to go out to eat one less time per month. Suddenly you're talking about $60, $80, $100, $150. And you say, we're, we're going to actually do that sacrificially. We're, we're going to restrict ourselves in this way because we're climbing the rung of giving. We're taking seriously what God has called us to do. And we're actually going to set aside those funds. And instead of doing that thing that we would like to do, we're actually going to send that into the Lord's hands to do for, in kingdom work what we can't do on our own. The, the third rung, even a higher rung beyond that, I would say would be a rung of faith giving. And, and faith giving is, is beyond just what you have. It's beyond just sacrificial giving. It's actually stretching a little bit further. And this is why I say this it is a progression thing. You can't just jump from zero to three. Because faith giving is, is when you're saying, God, I'm going to stretch, I'm going to give, but I'm believing you can do a little bit more. I'm believing you're putting in my heart uh, that you're speaking to me that you can actually bless me, bless my finances, and there's going to be more that's going to flow through me in this year. The reason why I say you can't just jump to step number three, because somebody will just be writing, I'm going to give a million dollars by faith. That's not what I'm looking for. Right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about silly faith pledges. I'm just talking about if, if you're at the place where you're a committed giver, you know how to do that, you've stretched, you've made those decisions of restricting yourself, but maybe God can do more through you in this year. Maybe he can show up in ways that you never thought or imagined, and he won't until you stretch by faith to see what he's going to do. They're going to lead us in, in a chorus. As they do that, just stay seated and just, just take a moment to fill out that card prayerfully. Just ask the Lord, Lord, how would you have me be involved? Again, this is not a pressure thing. Uh, and so this is not something where if, you, if you're not a part, that that's okay. But just take a few moments to do that. And then I'll come back up right after they sing through the chorus. And then I'll lead us in this next section.
in Joshua, there's a story that happens right after the children of Israel cross into the promised land over the Jordan River, and God shows up in a miraculous way. He stops the Jordan from flowing, uh, and, and they are allowed to cross through. As they cross the other side to the promised land, uh, Joshua instructs the, the children of Israel, and he says, pick uh, a man from every tribe. So there are 12 men, and he said, have them grab a stone. And he said, put the stone on your shoulder. So it wasn't a small stone. It was a big stone. And he said, come and take those stones and let's build a memorial to the Lord because of what he's done. Let's build a monument that future generations, when they see that memorial, when they see those stones piled up, that they would know what God has done for the people of Israel. Let that be a place that others would see and say, what are those stones? And say, that's when God showed up. It's a response, a memorial, a monument like that is a response to something that has happened. This morning, what we're being invited into is basically building a memorial, a, building a response to what God has already done for us, to what Jesus has done for us, the salvation that he's brought into our homes the, and our lives, the goodness that he's expressed to us, the invitation that we have to be a part of his business. Our response today as a church, corporately, what we're doing is we're saying we're building a memorial to the Lord. Let, let the nations know, let the future know, let the Lord himself know we are invested in this. We are saying thank you to you, Lord. We want to be about your business. And so if you could stand to your feet and as they play through this chorus one more time, if you're ready to come and, and, and give that, I'm just going to ask you just to come up uh, to these steps. Oh, they're bringing buckets. That's even nicer. Uh, uh, to the steps and, and just drop your, your card, your commitment into one of these buckets uh, and, and uh, as together corporately we're making this commitment. And then go back to your seat if you would. I'll come up. We'll pray together and I'll dismiss you. All right? So as they sing, just begin to bring those. Just bow your head just for a moment. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the invitation that you've given us to be a part of your business. Thank you for the commissioning, Lord, that you put on the church, each and every one of us, that you actually have empowered us with your spirit to, to go and be different, to be full of your life and full of your love. Lord, we're just asking that the offerings that we're giving today, the commitments that we're making today, Lord, that, that you would be pleased with them, that, that you would find them uh, to be useful in your hands, that you would multiply, God, the effectiveness of what is put uh, into, your, into your hands, because with you, Lord, you're able to take and, and break and exponentially move and increase. And so, God, would you take this, this offering, this memorial tribute to you, this commitment as the House of Koinonia Church, would you be pleased with it, Lord? And, and would you push the boundaries uh, of your kingdom to, to extend to the farthest part of the earth? And, Lord, for every family that's made a commitment, Jesus, I just pray that there would be an increase in their home and a blessing, that your presence would dwell richly with them, God, that they would find as they are obedient to you and as they stretch themselves to say yes to what you're calling them to do, God, that they would be surprised by your goodness and your grace, that you would chase after them all the days of your life. We thank you for these things and all the church said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at caseyhamford.com and if you want to support our ministry, click give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.